welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's scripture reading comes from Proverbs chapter 19. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against Yahweh. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. Whoever gets sense loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will discover good. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. It is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury, much less for a slave to rule over princes. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A king's wrath is like the growling of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from Yahweh. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to Yahweh, and he will repay him for his deed. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Listen to advice and accept instruction, that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of Yahweh that will stand. What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. The fear of Yahweh leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. He who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A worthless witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the backs of fools. This is the word of the Lord. Today's text starts out with a very simple idea that really it is better to have faith than it is to have wealth. That's a common statement or warning, depending on which way the text is being used, of the scriptures. As Jesus warns us against gaining the whole world but losing our soul, for example, here is a text that says it would be better to be poor, to have nothing, but to have integrity, to be truthful, faithful, than to have but be a liar, a fool. The man who is poor and yet has faith, he inherits paradise. 
As Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The very beginning of the Beatitudes section of blessings. Verse 2, Desire without knowledge is not good. A lot of overlap in these words, knowledge, insight, understanding, wisdom, prudence, throughout this book. So essentially, the man who cannot discern good and evil, give him a bunch, and what does that do? Where does his desire lead him? It leads him to more destruction. It leads him to more sin. It leads him to the depths of his evil heart that has not been cleansed, that has not been sanctified, made new by the work of the Holy Spirit. Similarly, whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. If you're being too hasteful, hasty, if you're trying to move too quickly without making plans first, without showing that wisdom, where are your feet taking you? They're not going to lead you somewhere good. Yet, verse 3, when a man's folly, his foolishness, brings him to ruin, his heart rages against Yahweh. Rather than accepting that it is his own fault, the, the sin of the fool, he blames God. He gets angry with God. This is one for us all to be cautious of. We do not have the right to blame God for our sin. Adam did it in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. The Lord was merciful, spared him from dying in that moment, although he deserved it. Verse 4. Really, verse 4 and 6 are going to pair up together really well. Wealth brings new friends. A poor man is deserted by his friend. So this is an earthly truth. The wealthy man in this world has lots of people who want to be around him because they're hoping his wealth will rub off on them in one way or another. It could be they, they've they got some kind of a superstitious or even spiritual idea that by being with wealthy people, they will become like them. They will become wealthy too. It could also be, what we see down in verse 6, everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts that they hope by being kind to this rich man, he'll give gifts to them, and thus, over time, they are also gaining in richness. This is a, another caution. These are not real friendships. But this is the desire, again, of the sinful nature of the evil heart, is to not look at a neighbor, not look at another person, and see them as God sees them, as a creation of his that he loves, that he died for on the cross, but to see them as an object and to wonder how that object can bring us pleasure. I know that's kind of phrased Sixth Commandment-ly. The idea of adultery, we talk about that that way. How can, as, as a man, how can this woman's body bring me pleasure instead of seeing her as a, a person? Um, or, or vice versa. But it's true in more than just that way, right? Why do we befriend the people we befriend? They make me laugh. Well, you're seeking your personal benefit. They have a swimming pool. That's a little more likely. That's like the child who befriends the kid with the nicest toys in his class. This is, our, again, our sinful nature. We are not here for pleasure. 
That's not to say pleasure is wrong. It's not to say we can't enjoy ourselves. But we're not here for that. We're here to serve. We're here to serve our neighbor. Not take advantage of their stuff. Verse 7 is interestingly longer than the others. If you've got it blocked off, you'll notice most of your verses are two lines in the text. Verse 7 is three. Not sure why, um, but we see it, and it pairs up quite well again with this section on who we make friends with, that a poor man's brothers and friends will leave him, and even if his brothers are going to do it, how much more his friends, because they don't have the same bond, and they're not as close to him as the others were. This almost strikes of a situation like Job. Job's doesn't quite end this way, but the idea that Job lost everything. And so then what happens? So if you were to lose everything, where would your brothers be? Where would your friends be? A true friend would stay with you. A true brother, which ought to be what every single person in your church is, is a true brother or sister in Christ who will bear with you in the difficult times. Whoever gets sense loves his own soul. So another word kind of synonymous to wisdom in the book here. He who keeps understanding will discover good. So it is beneficial to body and soul to seek the ways of God and to do things that are good and right and just and solitary. False witness will not go unpunished. He who breathes out lies will perish. I skipped over verse 5 because 5 and 9 are essentially the same. The only difference is uh, lies will not escape, lies will perish. Just that little bit. Uh, This is Eighth Commandment conversation here uh, about bearing false testimony. This is not good. It leads to destruction. Verse 10, not fitting for a fool to live in luxury, much less a slave to rule over princes, and yet they do. As we look at the world around us, how many fools live in luxury? People who have no faith in God, and yet things seem to go so well for them in this life. It's a tool the devil uses so that they are convinced to trust in themselves and the works of their own hands rather than getting their daily bread from the Lord. And slaves ruling over princes, if you are not of Christ, you are a slave to sin. And yet there are many slaves of sin in this world who rule over the children of God. And we are almost by extension, I don't want to say princes and princesses, but we're part of a royal family. So you can see that, right? That connection. Verse 11, good sense makes one slow to anger. It is his glory to overlook an offense. To be slow to anger is quite the virtue, and it is one that as Christians we ought to want, we ought to pray for. This is good. And glory to overlook an offense. That is, that we would turn the other cheek, as Jesus says in Matthew 5, 39, that we would not be quick to revenge or anger, but that we would be willing to be long-suffering with the evil of this world. Now, we could have a family conversation on this verse. So ask your children, how does verse 11 remind you of God, of his character? How is it not like God? So the first clause is very much like God. He is slow to anger. His patience endures. It has endured the length of time so far, and it will continue to endure until the day he sends Christ back. However, 
he has not overlooked our offenses. Instead, he has taken them from us. Christ has taken our offenses upon himself, upon the cross. He died the death we deserved. He did not just overlook them. God did not look at our sins and say, oh, it's okay. God looked at our sins and sent his son Jesus to deliver us. Verse 12, a king's wrath like the growling of a lion, thus it is fearful, it is dangerous. But his favor, when he likes you and gifts to you, is like dew on the grass, that is, it benefits you, it helps you to grow. A foolish son is ruined to his father, so uh, wife's quarreling, continual dripping of rain, destructive family things here. So a foolish son ruins his father because his father is looked at by the community and blamed for the things that come from the son. And the wife's quarreling like a continual dripping of rain. Uh, think of that from like the torture side of things, like the, the water, leaky water faucet that just keeps dripping and it just pounds into your brain and you can't fall asleep at night. Think of it that way. Uh, the wife's quarreling like a like nagging that just keeps coming and it tortures the, the husband, it tortures the family. These things are not good. A foolish son and a wife's quarreling are put right on par with each other here. House and wealth may come from your fathers, but a prudent wife is from Yahweh. So a wise wife, a discerning wife, is a gift, much more so than house and wealth. And we talk about house and wealth as gifts too. It's not wrong to have wealth. It's not wrong to have a home. These things can be seen as gifts from God. But they're worldly things. Whereas a wise wife, this is truly a gift from God and as long as she stays in the faith, you'll get to see her in paradise as brother and sister in Christ forevermore. The wise wife, and we'll come to that in Proverbs chapter 31, but she will help to build you up compared to that quarreling wife who's going to tear you down. Verse 15, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, an idle person will suffer hunger. The point of the verse is the idea of laziness again. Not helpful, laziness does not build up, it destroys but I want to pick up on this deep sleep phrase too. I don't want to miss this. This is the same Hebrew word as the deep sleep that is put upon Adam in Genesis 2 so that God can take the rib and make Eve and that is put upon Abram in Genesis 15 so that God alone can pass through the blood of the sacrifice to bind the covenant that he makes with Abram. It's a supernatural sleep. Those are positive uses of it. It shows up a couple other times as well and might be a reference to the supernatural sleep of death, of eternal death, as we might even call it. It's hard to say. It's not your regular sleep, though. And so the slothfulness, the, the lazy person, brings about not just a little rest, not just hunger, but possibly, potentially, the greater thing of death. Whoever keeps his commandments, that's the Lord, right? The commandment, God's commands, keeps his life. Uh, this is Leviticus chapter 18, which says that if you keep the word of God, you'll live by it. But we know we have failed at that. We have not kept it. So again, back to verse 11. God has not overlooked our offenses, but he has forgiven them in Christ. Thanks be to God. 
He who despises his ways, that should be capitalized his, that is God, he who despises God's ways will die. So if we reject God and his commands, we will not live. And that goes ultimately to the idea of hell as well. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to Yahweh. He will repay him for his deed. So the first clause there reminds me of Matthew 25, Jesus saying, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for him. So caring for those he has created. He, again, should be capitalized there in the second clause. God will repay him. Yahweh will repay him for his deed. And this ends up also reminding me a bit of Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, where Jesus Jesus is giving a little wisdom. He said, He also said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Verse 18, discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. In the worldly sense, this is talking about the son that's already wayward. Continue to try to discipline him. Continue to try to bring him back. He may yet return. As long as he's drawing breath, there's a chance, right? Rather than just giving up on him and deciding just to let him go, let him go to his own destruction. But there's also the the bigger picture of this, the idea of faith, uh, discipline, discipling, and teaching him the word of God, teaching him the ways of God, for there is hope in Christ, But if we don't discipline, if we don't disciple our children, we are putting them to death. We are giving them over to Satan and destruction. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. Uh, His anger will come back to haunt him in various ways, whether it's uh, a crime that he commits or if it's a, a court sentence or even the ultimate penalty of hell. If you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Solomon's recognizing worldly traits and trends here that when we forgive our brother, he will sin against us again. And we have to be prepared as Christians to keep on forgiving. As long as they ask for it, we forgive. This is what Christ has taught us to do. Verse 20, listen to advice, accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. A common common way to speak in this book. Uh, Solomon teaching his sons to be wise, to receive the instructions of their father to listen to his words. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of Yahweh that will stand. So man's plans fail, but Yahweh's plans endure forever. Thanks be to God, because his plans are to save us through Jesus Christ. What is desired in a man is steadfast love. That's that wonderful Hebrew word hesed again, which refers to God's steadfast love, his faithfulness. And so it's desired that we would be like God, that we would be faithful, that we would love the Lord. And a poor man is better than a liar. That could be a family conversation. Which would you rather be? Would you rather be poor or would you rather be a liar? The poor man, again, he is the Lord's. And the liar, by his lies, is rejecting the Lord. So one is clearly a better spot to be for us as Christians than the other. The fear of Yahweh leads to life. Another benefit of trusting in God, as we've talked about that fear of Yahweh phrase numerous times in the book, it is to trust in God, it is to have faith. 
And there is a real thing about fear to it, as we haven't talked about it for a while. Fear really is fear, to tremble, to shake, to be terrified. But that fear of the Lord ends up being liberating, as our fear of the Lord, it frees us from fearing all other things. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of evil in this world, because we know that Christ has redeemed us, saved us, and will raise us from the dead. And so as we fear him, uh, we come to fear nothing else. It is truly a wonderful thing. So faith is certainly connected to the phrase as we've been looking at it. Whoever has it, whoever has faith, has rest, rest and satisfaction. We don't need anything else. We have Christ. All right. This also is three lines along verse 23, a little longer than normal. He will not be visited by a harm. What can Satan do to me? Hebrews 13 verse 6 speaks that way. We can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? They can kill us, they can strike us down, but Christ will raise us again. It's a wonderful thing. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, will not even bring it back to his mouth. Just a lesson in laziness again. That's pretty rough. I mean, you put your hand to the plate, you want to eat, but you're too lazy to do it. Strike a scoffer and the simple will learn prudence. So scoffers, simple people, simple as in not knowing things, they can learn from punishment. Reprove a man of understanding, he will gain knowledge. So you don't have to punish the man of understanding. The wise man will seek counsel, he will seek correction without punishment first. He who does violence to his father chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. That's a fourth commandment issue here. Uh, is we would, that's not honoring your parents. Actually, doing violence to your father was part of the Old Testament legal code. It was punishable by death. Cease to hear instruction, my son. You will stray from the word of knowledge and likely then the faith as well. Verse 28, a worthless witness mocks at justice. The mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. The worthless witness is false, fake, not good. So he is distorting justice. He's making a mockery of it. Condemnation is ready for scoffers, beating for the backs of fools. So this text ends with the idea, basically, of everlasting judgment that comes from not trusting in the Lord. So we've got some gospel in this one, too, but it does end on a a note of strong judgment. 